Good to have you here. Please take your seats. It's great you've done all my introductions for me. I'm a Territorian. They say if you see the Todd River flow three times, you'll always be going back. I'm looking forward to a trip back to Alice Springs next year for the 40th anniversary of the starting of that church. Ben Teffy, Teffley, Teffy, he's there now and he's doing a phenomenal job. Don't they call it Springs in the Desert or something? Or Desert Church? Or... That's the one, yeah. I just called it <laughs> Alice Springs AOG. That was back in the day. Hey, So I'm really, really old. Although looking out amongst this congregation, there are a few that are older than me, which is good to be seeing. Praise God. I've still got most of my hair. I'm losing a bit just at the front here. It's good to see that there's a few that have already lost their hair. So how, how do you like that? You get up there, guest speaker, and insult people within the first few minutes. But I think that's, that's Australian humor, isn't it? You come back to, I come back to Australia, and it's like brutal. It's just brutal humor. And uh, I find it amazing. And Australians are incredibly blunt. So I've discovered that. When I came over this a uh, couple of months ago, uh, the bluntness, it was refreshing, actually. Oh, God, it took me back just a little bit, but then I had to laugh. I got back to my church and I said, how did you guys cope with me for that first 10 years? Because I was very, very blunt as well. Anyway, praise God. It's lovely to be here. And uh, it was actually your pastor's invitation that sealed the deal for me to be coming across to Australia at this particular time. I really wanted to do Pan-Asia Conference in Phuket, Thailand, which was at the end of July. And uh, I wanted to add Australia on to it. And so I've been in uh, uh, two Sundays in Melbourne, uh, and in East Bentley, and one in Dandenong, and my third Sunday here. Tomorrow morning, we're getting up at ridiculous o'clock in the morning to get to the airport. We've got a big day tomorrow, so... Port Lincoln, Adelaide, Adelaide, Melbourne. We nick across to the International Terminal, Melbourne, Bangkok. Then we've got a couple of days off in Bangkok and uh, be able to eat some proper Thai food. Amen. How many of you like Thai food? Yeah, it's heaven's food, basically. It is heaven's food. The Penang Gai is my favorite. Uh, and, you know, it's just beautiful. Do you want me to whip out a little bit of Thai for you? So I would stand up in a, in a Thai church. I would say, Oh, Sabadika, Pinong Tanglai. One Nippon Rustic DJ Mark. Samarapoga, Chama Tesana, Tini. And they just go, And then they think, I've just learned how that. So they just start doing a few other things as well. Sometimes when the interpreter is helping me, because I can't preach in Thai anymore, I probably could, but I'd have to spend about two weeks on every message I preached. So it's just easier to use an interpreter. And uh, sometimes the interpreter won't use the proper word. And so I have to correct the interpreter. And when I do that, you should see the, the, the people that respond in that particular minute. Anyway, let's get on with it. Hey, I've written a new book. Uh, you like those ideas? Yeah, great. Yeah, good. I'd like to preach my sermon and like you to buy my book. Um, this is a great book. It's called Unseen, but you get to see it right now. Okay? So here it is. On the front, uh, it's, it, it talks about my glasses on. I am so old. I have to wear glasses. It's a fresh look at the spirit world and how we can protect ourselves from the devil's schemes. I think this is a significant book that I've written. I think it's uh, probably the best. It's my third book. It's probably, I don't know, the most impacting book I've probably written. And uh, I find that there are a lot of Christians, you know, we trust in the grace of God and the love of God, and that's what we've been singing about. But how many of you realize that the devil always finds his way in, even in the midst of praise and worship? You could be receiving communion on a Sunday, and you could still feel those fiery darts of the enemy pressing in. We begin to understand that it's not the presence of God that dispels the powers of darkness. It's actually the authority of every believer. And we, as we begin to move in the authority of Jesus' name, not some magical formula, not some, you know, uh, what someone once taught us how to... Uh, overcome darkness, but using the authority of the name of Jesus. You know, the scripture says in Psalm 23 that God has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And I find that an interesting passage of scripture, that the enemy can actually come in to that intimate dining setting and begin to, you know, put thoughts in, into our mind and inflame our hearts at that particular time as well. This book is talking about the armor of God, how to protect yourself how to work hard at being somebody that is, 
you know, victorious and learning how to live. One of the things that I, I do use in my book is loads and loads of scriptures. One of the things that I've discovered about this generation at the moment is that we're probably one of the most illiterate generations when it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to theology. I was talking with Pastor Rob at the moment. You know, I'm really pleased that in the ACC that we've actually got a few standards as to what you've got to actually achieve from a Bible college point of view before you can be a credentialed minister. There are some people out there that have had no Bible college training and as a, as a result don't really feel the, the need to talk about the power of the Word of God. Now, the power of the Word of God is so important. The Bible says it's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And the sword of the Spirit will be totally useless to you if you don't know what the Bible says. Now, as a young man, I quoted uh, uh, or memorized the King James Bible, and uh, I had hundreds and hundreds of scriptures in my brain. And, uh, and still today, there are some scriptures that I quote, you know, Whoso speaketh in an unknown tongue, speaketh not unto God, but unto man, for he speaketh mysteries. By the way, for those of you who don't know, the ACC is a Pentecostal movement. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues. Is that right, Rob? That's what we believe. We believe in that in Jesus' name. And so, you know, we're a supernatural people. We're a people of the Spirit. We're a people of the Spirit of God. We're a people of the Word of God. Hence the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How did Jesus defeat the devil? He would turn to him and say, it is written. It is written. And that's how he defeated the forces of evil. So my book is, is, a, is a 21st century look at the spirit world and how we can navigate this great vast realm, this unseen realm. The book that I've got here is a sane, biblical, balanced, and a reasonable explanation of how we are called by God to stand our ground in the evil day. For those of you that maybe are a little bit younger amongst us, you may think to yourself, the evil day, oh, well, God will protect me from the evil day. The scripture says that stand strong when the evil day comes, not if the evil day comes. You will have to experience how to stand strong in the midst of evil. You will have to learn how to stand strong in the name of Jesus when tough things happen to good people. So I'm encouraging you right now, buy this book. It's more expensive on Amazon, although if you're a Prime Amazon Prime membership person, you can get the Kindle version for free. But I don't know, I like, I like the, the paperback. I like, the, I like to be able to flip through it and turn the pages and underline stuff. And so I want to encourage you. It's available out the back here. And uh, I would love to see you. I would love to chat with you as well. So I'll stand at the back there and I'll actually sign copies for you today. They tell me, Pastor Rob, that the book is more uh, worth it. It's more, you know, it's better if the author has signed it for the day comes that you want to sell it. You can sell it for twice the price. What do you reckon, eh? So bring your book and I'll sign yours as well. This book, I want you to be warned. There is a warning on it. It does not put the enemy in a uh, flattering light. Indeed, my book is relentless as ex at explaining the victory that Jesus has given us. I am excruciatingly precise in explaining the judgment of God against our enemy. I expose him ruthlessly and take him down brutally. In my book, I unpack the hundreds of scriptures that show our victory and advantage over the enemy. Even though the enemy may come against us, I show clearly that Jesus is our champion and he gives us victory. I want to quote a passage of scripture which the book is based on. It's found in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. And I'm going to read it to you from the Passion Translation or the TPT. Whoa, there it is. That's a lot of scripture on the, on the board. So follow with me if you would, please. Now, my beloved ones, I have saved these most important truths for last. These are most important truths. Most important truths. Listen to what the scripture says. I have saved these most important truths for last. And then Paul says, be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Supernaturally infused. There is no way we can fight a spiritual enemy without ourselves being supernaturally infused by the Spirit of God. It's impossible. You can't fight the devil in your own flesh and blood. You can't find victory in Jesus' name in your own, in your own self. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Strength 
through a life union with Jesus. Stand victorious with the forces of his explosive power flowing in and through you. So the power that's in within us is an explosive power. This is the word dunamis in the Greek, where we get our English word dynamite from. I love the thought that we have dynamite in the Holy Spirit to be able to stand against the work of the enemy. Put on God's complete set of armor provided for us so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. Now, the accuser, this is one of the names given in Scripture uh, for the devil. He accuses you. The Bible says that the accuser of the brethren stands before the throne of God speaking against us day and night. These are his evil strategies. It goes on and it says your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. This is up close and personal. This is in your mind and in your heart. This is up close and personal. This is hand-to-hand combat with powers of darkness that come against you. The scripture goes on to say, for they are a powerful class of demon gods, evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. A powerful class of demon gods. What I will explain is that though we have authority, the enemy still has power. And we need to be very, very careful when we talk about the enemy having power. We have authority. The devil has power. It would pay for us not to be ignorant of his schemes. It would pay us not to be stupid and unknowing, ignorant, stupid about the things of this supernatural hand-to-hand combat with demon gods. The scripture goes on. Because of this, you must wear all of the armor that God provides so you're protected as you confront the slanderer. Interesting, isn't it? How the scripture uses another term here to describe the work of the, of the devil. He slanders you. Now, these spirits don't speak into our world. People speak into our world. You see, the scripture says here in the NIV, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. Boy, it feels like flesh and blood, though. It looks like flesh and blood. They're standing there looking at you as they slander you. These people that come into our presence who accuse us of things that are not true. This is an amazing work of the enemy and how he works against us. Powerful, isn't it? Powerful. The scripture is really clear, though, that we're struggling not for victory, but from victory. Our wrestle, our struggle, we already have the victory in Jesus' name. And as we move against our enemy, we find that we can defeat him time after time after time after time because we move supernaturally infused with the Spirit of the Lord, with an explosive power within us, moving in an authority in the name of Jesus. When Jesus died and rose again, he rose again over the powers of hell, over the powers of death, over the powers of sin and Satan. Satan was destroyed when Jesus rose again, his power against us. We now have authority in Jesus' name. That's really good. But you know something? As a pastor... I understand the power of the enemy. And it's, it, it, it's talking here that the Bible describes this power. The scripture says that our enemy, this is how he, he comes against us. He's a deceiver. He's a manipulator. He's an accuser, a slanderer, a liar. The Bible says that when the devil speaks, he speaks his native language of lies. You know, that's why I find it difficult when... In the olden days, they used to be casting out demons. How many are you? Do you think an evil spirit's going to tell you the truth? You know, in the scriptures, my name is Legion, for we are many. Oh, sure, right, okay. I like what Paul says. These are beggarly elements, broken and defeated through the cross. And we have that authority over them. But the enemy's a liar, but he lies, and he lies really well. He's a thief. It says that he has schemes, strategies, plots, and ploys that he employs against us. Our enemy does not have our best interests at heart. His goal is to destroy the image of God within you. Anybody that's been working with people with addictions, especially when it comes to some of the drug addictions, and you see how people's lives have been totally destroyed through drug addiction, this is the work of the enemy. This is how the enemy works against people's lives. He wants to destroy 
He wants to destroy the image of God within you. Do you know, as a pastor, I've seen so many people living in unforgiveness. You know, things that were happening 10 years, 5 years, 15, 25, 35 years. The people that they hold their unforgiving spirit towards are already dead, cold, buried in the grave. And yet unforgiveness seems to rule in people's hearts and lives. Listen, by forgiving somebody doesn't mean that what they did against you was cool and okay. It just means that you have released them from your judgment. And I'm going to trust the judgment of God to deal with those people. But it's amazing how unforgiveness and bitterness twists people's lives and seeks to destroy the God part of us. The devil is a master psychologist, an expert in human nature. He knows our weaknesses. He can pinpoint our vulnerabilities and our fragilities. These dark forces have had millennia to hone their skills and have become experts in human nature and human motivation. They study us closely in an effort to discover our weak points so that they may influence us. Again, as a pastor, I see three main areas that the enemy seeks to work against us. And I want you to listen very carefully because as I begin to describe, you can take that down now, thanks. As I begin to describe these three areas, you will begin to think to yourself, I didn't know that before. I didn't see that before. What's going to be happening in the next 20 minutes or so is that there will come revelation into your heart. There will come an illumination from the Holy Spirit. You'll begin to hear me speak these words and all of a sudden you'll be thinking to yourself, oh, so that's what's been happening. As a pastor, I see three areas where the enemy comes to attack us. He attacks us in our mind, he attacks us in our hearts, and he attacks us in our passion for Jesus and his church. You know, I'm astounded at the number of people that get upset with the church. You can't love the bride, you can't love the bridegroom and not love the bride. It's just amazing. You know, I, I may not like some of the more traditional mainline churches. It may not be my I'm a Pentecostal, I like chandeliers so I can swing from them. Do you know what I mean? I, I like the Holy Spirit. I love the move of the Holy Spirit. Okay? I like boisterous singing. I like smoke. I like lights. I like drums. I like guitars. I like loud music. Someone came to me one day and said, do you have a quieter service? I said, no. Don't come Sunday night. It's louder still. I love it though. I just love it. You see, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not interested in the reshuffling of the sheep. I'm interested in seeing people come to Jesus Christ. And then they become part of his church. Amazing, isn't it? So let's look at the mind. I want you to listen very carefully because this is how the enemy works against you. What is the mind? It's the seat of your will and intellect. Your mind is the logical, rational part of you. Your mind plays host to your reasoning abilities. You ever wondered sometimes when you think, well, they're really unreasonable? This is the work of the enemy against you. It looks like flesh and blood, but it's not. There's a spiritual dimension to the unreasonableness that's coming against you. This is your mind. It plays, it plays host to your thoughts. It's in your mind that you have all that silent self-talk. You know what I mean? You all know what I mean. We all talk to ourselves. Need to find somebody intelligent enough to understand. But sometimes that self-talk starts to go in a different direction. And that self-talk starts to say, oh, you're no good. You're an idiot. You're stupid. You're always going to be broke. You're never going to get that dream job. And all of the time, you know, you're ugly. You're fat. You're this color. You're that creed. How can you be acceptable here? And all the time, you know, you know what I mean? You go to bed at night. It's awful. It just plays on repeat. And you wonder why you can't go to sleep. You're thinking to yourself, I'm going to take some pills. But even when you take some pills, it's still going on. This is the work of the enemy. This is how the enemy attacks your mind. In our minds, we imagine. We become self-aware. Your mind it's the spiritual entity that drives us. There's no doctor's books that shows on the anatomical chart where your mind is. You can find your brain, you can find your heart, but you can't find your mind. Why many of us lose it a lot. It's a spiritual entity. No wonder the enemy would 
like to attack this area of our lives so strongly. He shoots his fiery darts. Thoughts just out of the blue come into our mind. His scheme is to regurgitate cruel and hurtful memories and organize this deceptive self-talk. The enemy works to cause obsessive thoughts to play on repeat. He stirs up anxious thoughts. He's discovered all of our mental triggers. He takes advantage of them ruthlessly. He attacks our mind because it's such a powerful part of who we are. Thoughts of evil come into our mind. They seek to crowd out the voice of God. Thoughts of failure silence the whisper of the Holy Spirit. You ever, you ever wondered about the whisper of the Holy Spirit? Why does the Holy Spirit whisper? Well, the reason is he's very close to you. Why does the devil scream at us? Because he wants to be heard over and above that silent whisper. Listen to the Spirit of God. The enemy comes in close. It's hand-to-hand combat. This is up close and personal. These, these thoughts that we have at nighttime, some of the most destructive things that take place is that during the daytime they start to surface again. It's amazing. I want to quote from William James. He's a Christian, a doctor, and a psychologist from the late 1800s. He was a contemporary of Sigmund Freud, and he made this profound comment. Let's put it on the screen. The greatest discovery of my generation is that a human being can alter his life by altering his attitudes. The greatest weapon against stress is our ability to choose one thought over another. Now, this man was a Christian. He wasn't just quoting something as a psychologist. He was actually quoting from the scripture. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power, or in one translation it says they have been divinely empowered to do three things. Pull down strongholds, demolish arguments, and for us to take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Now, it's this juncture that we need to fight against our enemy. That is to take every thought captive captive. You think to yourself, oh, these thoughts, they just come into my mind. They're like rats. They're like cockroaches. They're just eating away. How do I stop them? You have weapons that are divinely empowered by the Spirit of God for you to take authority over the thoughts in your mind and to choose one thought over another. You have that ability in God. You have that ability in God. As he said, it was one of the greatest discoveries of his generation to be able to see that we can actually choose one thought over another. Now, divinely empowered, superinfused with the Spirit of God, explosive power on the inside, we now, in the name of Jesus, take authority over every thought that comes into our mind. Now, in the midst of this, we've also got the ability to pull down strongholds. These strongholds of the enemy against us, against our mind, against whatever's going on around us, these arguments that are going on all the time. We're actually arguing with ourselves over what we are and who we can be. Stop it. Take authority over the argument. Put silence to it in Jesus' name. It is amazing. It says, and then the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. The peace of God. You'll be amazed at how the peace of God comes in when you begin to do that. Now, it's a discipline, okay? Cameron's sitting down the front here looking quite buff there. Cameron probably goes to the gym on a regular basis. I'm not going to take my coat off because I don't want to embarrass you, but, you know, I'm quite buff myself. You know, I go to the gym when I'm home in Norwich, Monday to Friday, down there, you know, I'm doing shoulders, hallelujah, pressing the weight. You know, there's a lot of heavy weights in my gym, and we get to manly gym too, by the way, Cameron. You probably enjoy it. You know, I've got legs. I've got muscles on my legs. I could show you, but maybe not now. But it's a discipline, isn't it? That's what you do. That's why they eat chicken breast and broccoli. I won't tell you what I had yesterday afternoon for a snack. No, I'm not going to tell you. This is discipline, though. Discipline. You need to discipline yourself. Christians don't like that. Oh, I'm just going to go down to the front and they're going to pray for me and the divine zap will hit me and 
God says, look, I'll fill you with my Holy Spirit, but then you've got to do something as well. You've got to do something. It's not, it's not the Holy Spirit comes in, whoosh, whoosh, wash, wash, you know. No, you choose thoughts. You choose what you're going to think about. You choose. You know, one of the biggest, I think, flaws that the enemy has against us is he, he wants us to blame somebody else. I'm fat because of my genes. I'm fat because my mother overfed me when I was a kid. I'm fat because my dad dropped me on my head when I was three. It's all their fault. You know the biggest thing that I find, I get really annoyed at it. It's the pastor's fault. I'm sick and tired of that. I'm sick and tired of it. And people want to try and blame me. I go, forget it. It's not my fault. It's your fault. I don't take responsibility for this. I'm, you can drag a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. This is a discipline that you need to put into. If you want to lose weight, then you cut down on calories. That's simple as that. If you want to get muscles as strong as mine, you want to get down to the gym and start working hard. That's right. That's what you need to do. It's called a discipline. If you want to learn how to run 5K, you've got to start by running 1K. And that's a discipline. You've got to do it all the time. And it's the same when it comes to spiritual disciplines. Read your Bible every day. Pray if you want to grow. It's so simple. We teach it to the Sunday school kids. But how many people out there don't do it? They just don't put it into practice. And what happens is that your mind becomes an infestation of evil thoughts, broken thoughts that break you. God, yelling and shouting at demons may make you feel good. But all it does is give the enemy airtime, and it's nowhere, as, nowhere near as effective as learning to choose one thought over another. The disciplining of our minds in Jesus' name is one of the best disciplines that we could ever get into. Most of our battles are fought in our mind. Win the battle and your life will change. Second Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For God has not given to us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, a disciplined mind. That's what the Holy Spirit gives us. Let's look at the heart for a minute. Your heart, it's the seat of your affection. It's where you feel things. It's where you love. It's where you trust. It's a place you can feel the deepest hurt. Your heart, it's different from your mind, but it is also a key target of the enemy. And there's good reason for that. The enemy targets your heart. Because your heart is the seat of your integrity. Oh gosh, I've met so many Christians that claim to be, you know, chronologically old in the Lord, and yet they're like babies. They're like infants. They've never grown up. They remain immature in the way that they respond to situations. And I can't understand why people who have been saved for 30, 40, 50 years are so immature in their own spirit when it comes to the things of God. I don't care if you were filled with the Holy Spirit back in 1945 and spoke in tongues as the initial evidence. I want to know that today, August 2019, are you full of the Holy Spirit now? You see, your heart, it's the most sacred part of you. That's where the Holy Spirit lives. That's the seat of our integrity. That's where our character is being developed. You know, some people would say honesty is the best policy. Well, that's wrong. Honesty is the only policy because that's integrity. Integrity is who you are in the dark. Integrity is what you allow in your heart. Integrity is, is being honest and being truthful, learning humility. This is your heart, learning how to trust, fidelity in marriage. That's where, that's where your heart comes in, to love your wife. Love is a decision that you make. We've been married for 37 years. Oh, I was much handsomer back 37 years ago than I am now. Sometimes she wakes up grumpy. Other times she just lets me sleep. Okay? I'm not as good looking as I was back when I was young. But she still loves me because love is a decision that you make. And we're not going to go out and do stupid things. 37 years. My gosh. This is how I like my coffee, how I like my eggs. A younger version. It will take me years to have to train someone to do that. <laughs> now, we're happy. We're happy. But that's integrity. 
That's character. That's integrity. There's a couple down there giving each other a bit of a hug. That's so beautiful. How long have you guys been married? How long have you been married? You know? You remember? It's been a long time, hasn't it? It's good though, isn't it? 50 years. Oh, that's amazing, isn't it? You could have committed homicide and been out 25 years later. It's amazing, isn't it? My wife and I, we've never talked about divorce. Homicide has come up frequently. She says, I'm going to get a frozen leg of lamb. I'm going to knock you over the head. I'm going to wait for the leg of lamb to thaw, and then I'm going to cook it. No, there'll be no uh, murder weapon at all. She's got it all sorted. (laughs) So if any of you hear on the grapevine that I've died of blunt force trauma... I want you to know exactly where you should be looking. Okay, that's taking up a lot of time, that. The scripture says that we can have a broken heart, a hard heart, a heart blinded by darkness, a stony heart, a deceitful heart, or you can have a pure heart. Our daily reminder is this, listen carefully. Our feelings are not the most reliable source of truth have to remember that. Our feelings are not the most reliable source of truth. Just been in Melbourne for a couple of days and, you know, if you don't like the weather, you just wait five minutes and it changes. And it did. It literally did. We woke up. It was beautiful sunshine. The clouds came in. It rained. A few minutes later, the wind started to blow. A few minutes later, the degrees just plummeted. I was waiting for snow. Feelings are not the most reliable source of truth. We wake up some mornings and we don't feel good. Have a coffee. Double espresso. Helps me all the time. I feel better after that. Are you, are you listening to me? Your feelings change. Don't base, don't base truth on what you're feeling right now. Seriously. In the next three months, I don't care what situation you are in right now. It could be the worst, darkest, most horrible situation. I promise you, in three months' time, it'll be different. Don't live on your feelings. Live by faith. Live by faith in what? Live by faith in the word of God. Live by faith in the name of Jesus. Live by faith. Don't live by feelings. Oh, I just feel, well, great. Wait a few minutes and that feeling will go away. I've got a friend, he says, I feel like going to the, to the gym. He says, I feel like going for a run. He says, I run around the block and then I kick the block back under the bed and that's it. <laughs> I would say almost every morning I wake up, I do not feel like going to the gym. But once again, it's a discipline. It's a discipline that you put in your life. A discipline. A discipline. Anybody in the, in the army, the, the, the armed forces here? Anybody ever been in them? Yeah? You, you, they teach you discipline. Amazing, isn't it? And that's what we as Christians need to be doing. Let me talk about your heart for a minute and how the enemy works. The enemy wants to inflame your heart with ungodly passions. He wants to pollute your heart with feelings of anxiety, insecurity, depression, anger. He wants to break your heart by breaking your heart. You know, rejection's a terrible thing. Friday night I was telling the story about a young boy who his girlfriend left him. You know, you know, it's just awful, isn't it? I remember I was in grade six. I was really in love with Pamela Brown. It was the last day of school and we played catch and kiss. I caught her. I was so gutless though, I couldn't kiss her. She felt rejected. She's been suffering from, I don't know, for years and years and years now. But rejection's a terrible thing, isn't it? It's a horrible thing and it breaks us. It breaks our heart. And that's where we need to learn the disciplines of God's word and learn how to get our heart restored. He restoreth my soul, the Bible says. Good stuff, eh? He wants to harden you by hardening your heart to the things of God. I'm astounded as I read the Gospels at the religious leaders of the day, how hard their hearts were, how legalistic they were, how they were always trying to get Jesus and and trap him with their questions. Oh, Lord, in Jesus' name, help us to have a soft heart. 
heart towards the things of God. You know, when, when I'm confronted with people like that, I, I really, I don't try and engage them in much discussion. I don't try and argue with them because they've already got their minds made up because their heart's set, like concrete. It's hard. So I just say, oh, bless you. Yeah, we have to agree to disagree. And I move off as quickly as I possibly can because I don't want to have to handle any of that. I like to work with people whose hearts are soft, whose, whose hearts are malleable, who, who understand that they, they can receive instruction and correction and that we can, we can challenge one another and we don't lose our, our friendships over it. You know, we don't say, oh, I'm leaving the church if that's how you feel. Okay, see you later then. But he hardens our heart, especially towards the things of God. He, may, he seeks to make you feel suspicious so you'll become critical, disillusioned, and cynical. I've read through the list of the gifts of the Spirit, and suspicion's not one of them. You know, it's not. You, you've got beautiful pastors. I've spent the week with them. They're lovely. They're humble. They love you. They can't stop talking about you. They've been telling me about how great you are how awesome you are. They, they, they talk about the number of people coming to Jesus. They've got a heart for the lost. Your pastors love you. Why in the name of Jesus would you be suspicious of this beautiful couple? They're amazing. I want to inspire you now by the power of God's word to honor those that are worthy of that kind of honor and bless them and love them. How many of you love your pastors? Give them a hand. Is that it? Is it? Is that what you wanted me to say? I'll grab that $10 afterwards. Eh? Yeah, thanks, mate. Our enemy, our enemy, I love this point. Our enemy is an expert at causing us to take offense. Now, if you haven't been offended in this church yet, hang in there. It'll happen. No? Cameron's down here, 19 years old, you know, fresh, loves God, loves Jesus, never been hurt, never been offended, you know. But it'll happen one day. It'll happen one day. And what do you do when you get offended? You stop and realize that offense is taken, rarely given. Taken, but rarely given. What man of God or woman of God would purposely go out to offend you? Offense, listen to me now is a spiritual disease that comes into the hearts of people. And the enemy fans the flames of offense and makes it bigger than what it really is. You know, outsizes the, you know, extends the dimensions of the offense. Before long, you've murdered somebody and you never, you know, never even touched them. The enemy loves to stir up offense. And, you know, to a pastor, what's the, what's the first thing? What's the first thing that comes into your mind? Well, I'm offended, so I'm leaving the church. How childish. Take your, take your toys, chuck them back in the pram, pick up your little dummy, and you walk out. Can anyone help me here? Can anyone say, yeah, amen? This is some of the most childish stuff that I've ever seen in the church. It's childish behavior. Oh, but you don't know what he said. No, and you don't understand the motivation of someone else's heart either. You're not the Holy Spirit. You don't know what's going on in someone's heart. But this is how the enemy works. He works so that you will become offended. Offense is taken, rarely given. If I'm going to offend you, you will know exactly. He purposely strategizes to fill our hearts with negative, maddening, and destructive feelings. He seeks to violate your heart with distrust, skepticism, and unbelief. The enemy knows that if he can compromise the integrity of your heart, he's got you. What is offense, anyway? It's a whole stew of unforgiveness and bitterness. It's something that, that is ungodly at its very roots. I, I, I've been teaching my team, let's, let's all become unoffendable. Let's become unoffendable. 
You know, love believeth all things. Why don't we walk in love? 1 Corinthians 13, not easily angered. When are we going to learn to, to walk in the, in the scripture and learn how to deal with one another in that way? I've watched the outrage on people's faces. You see, I think that's demonic power behind the scenes stirring them up. All you need to do is look at their faces to realize that there's spiritual and supernatural powers at work. It's amazing, isn't it? Don't, don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. Don't give the devil any place in your life. Stand strong in the evil day. Put on the full armor of God. Stand strong in Jesus' name. Don't let the enemy get the upper hand. Okay, your passion's for God. I should give you the scripture, Proverbs 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Powerful word, eh? Guard your heart. Okay, your passion's for God. Passion is our enthusiasm for God. It's our worship. And it's the greatest act of, of passion that we can be, be involved in. You know, our worship leaders are up here inspiring us. Come on, lift your hands. Oh, well, it's my hands. Come on, lift your voices. Oh, I haven't got a good voice. Come on, begin to worship. Begin to praise. And you go, oh, 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 I don't feel like it. Well, that's probably the best time you should begin to praise. Praise is a powerful thing in Jesus' name. The enemy is not concerned about you being a Christian. What scares the pants off him is if you are becoming a passionate, vibrant, fervent, on fire, white hot, God-praising, audacious Christian. That's what scares the devil. The enemy is happy with your small, self-centered approach to life. But he dies a thousand deaths when you fix your eyes on Jesus and worship him. The enemy is unruffled by your apathy and your comfortability, your comfortable lifestyle. But he comes agitated by your bold, intentional, and fervent worship in the corporate gathering of the church. The enemy loves your self-righteous proclamations of your offenses. He laughs at you when you trot out your litany of grievances against others. But he is deeply distressed you decide that you will be unoffendable and just say, well, hallelujah anyway, and then turn and praise God. Turn and praise God. There's something attractive about being a passionate Christian. There's something powerful about passionate corporate worship in church that shakes the kingdom of darkness. It's in worship where the weight of his glory breaks every demonic chain. Yeah? Amen coming to we get to do this every week twice a week why would you miss church why would you decide to stay home on a Sunday night oh you know I've already done my duty your duty your duty oh, around about 4 o'clock every afternoon on a Sunday I think to myself if I could pay somebody 100 pounds to go to church with me I would but I can't so I'll go anyway and within seconds music starts to play singers are starting to worship my heart leans in oh Jesus you know when I'm worshipping God the presence of the Holy Spirit comes upon us the glory of God comes this is one of our greatest acts of, of attack against the enemy amazing isn't it I want you to remember something it's your voice that makes darkness tremble. It's your voice that demolishes strongholds. It's your voice that silences the internal arguments that influence your mental health. It's your voice that shouts victory even when you're feeling defeated. It's your voice that declares we have overcome. It's your voice that declares you worship the living God. It's your voice that declares our God reigns. Well, the enemy will seek to blunt your passions. He'll seek to, to give you every reason why you shouldn't be passionate about the things of God. He'll lie to you, fill your heart with such evil. But if, if we could just, in worship, humble ourselves before the mighty God. Bring our hearts into to the right place of worshiping him. 
leaning in. You know, this isn't like time to be a lukewarm Christian. It's time to shine and luster like a city on a hill. One of the parts of the, and I felt really moved upon by the Holy Spirit this morning to share this with you. One of the parts of the armor of God is the breastplate, the breastplate of righteousness. But it only covers the front part of your heart, right? It doesn't cover your back. You know, I prayed about this and I really thought to myself, God, what is that all about? Why don't you cover our back? He says, because the Roman soldiers often would fight back to back. They would oftentimes find themselves in a formation of four, five, six people where they guarded each other's back. You know what that's a picture of? It's a picture of the church. I've got your back. I'm not going to listen to gossip about you. If somebody comes to me and tells me something about you, I'll challenge that and say it's not true. People have come to me and they've given me some terrible comments about me. I said, I don't know if that's true. I'm going to find out. Because I know that person. We've got your back, church. We've got your back. We'll be with you. For some of you that are going, oh, you know, oh, 20 years ago, 15 years, stop it. Stop it. Take authority over those thoughts in Jesus' name. We've got your back. We've got your back. We're here to help you. Now, as I've been preaching, some of you have got this revelation thing has been happening. It's an illumination. All of a sudden you become aware of how the enemy has been coming against you. And you know you need to put on the full armor of God. And some of you are in a situation where though you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'm just feeling so defeated. I'm feeling so weak at the moment. I'm feeling so dry. Pastor Tom, I'm so dry. My heart is so broken over a, a particular situation. Would you just pray with me? Some of you are thinking to yourself, if I could just have a couple of the folks from the church stand next to me and pray with me, maybe I could be lifted up a little bit higher and I could begin to practice what you're talking about. I would, I would really, truly love to pray for you. I love tearing down the strongholds of the enemy. The gates of hell shall not prevail against us. We will break down those ancient gates in Jesus' name. We will tear down every argument that rises up and by the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, we will take captive every thought. In Jesus' name, if your heart's broken, you're feeling tired, if you're feeling weary, if you're feeling your heart is broken, then grant us the opportunity today just to stand with you. Now, some people say, oh, I'm a bit embarrassed, and, you know, if it was me. I mean, I would be surprised if both Rob and Pauline don't come out for prayer this morning with broken hearts no more thankless job in the whole world than being pastors of sheep. Anybody work with sheep? Yeah, they're not the smartest animals on the block, are they? You wonder why Jesus called us sheep? Well, I know. Would you stand with me in Jesus' name? If you need prayer this morning, if you need Jesus just to touch you, would you come to the front right now? Would you come and stand with you? We don't have all morning. Come right now in Jesus' name, and we're going to pray for you. We're going to ask the oil of the Holy Spirit to just come upon you, and in Jesus' name, He will touch you. He will begin to heal you. He'll begin to just minister to you. We have some of the ministry team come out and pray with these people. Come and just stand next to them. In Jesus' name. Just begin to pray. Spirit of the Lord, come upon them in Jesus' name. The oil of the Holy Spirit come upon you right now. Oh, in Jesus' name. The oil of the Spirit. The oil of the Spirit. The healing balm of Jesus' name. Oh, Jesus, right now, let your spirit just begin to come upon them. Can we have some people come and pray with these teachers today? Come on, girls, you can come down and pray as well. That's right. You two girls there, come on down. Let us pray for these folks. Pray, lay your hands on them. Spirit of the Lord to come upon you. 
Holy Spirit, this morning we'll reach out to the Lord right now, everybody here. Would you do something for What would you do if I told you that when you lifted your hands, you caused the devil to get a headache? If What if I told you if you lifted your hand and surrendered to God, that the enemy would be freaking out and shocked by what's going on in the spirit realm? Well, that's what exactly happens when we lift our hands to heaven. So why don't you do that? Lift your hands to heaven. Open your heart to God. Ask the Spirit of the Lord to come upon you afresh. Why don't you just do that right now? Lift your hands to heaven. Lift your hands high to heaven. Reach out to God right now. That's right. Do you know something? Nobody's looking at you. They're looking to God. Reach out to the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit of the Lord right now. Let the Spirit of God come upon you. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Let the glory of God come upon you in Jesus' name. Let the glory of God come upon you in Jesus' name to break every chain. Amen. 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 Come on, let's give him a mighty hand of praise. Hallelujah. Oh, Spirit of the Lord. Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, I'd be remiss if I just didn't take one last minute here over here. Michael, isn't it? I sense an unusual hand of God upon your life. I, I sense the Spirit of the Lord there. I sense that there's an incredibly passionate and, uh, and compassionate heart that God has placed within you to reach out to people. God understands the struggles that you've had to go through. God understands the, the difficulties. And He's graced you. He's graced you to be able to do the things that He's called you to. And the hand of the Lord is upon you. I was really impressed with young Cameron this morning. I don't know why. I just walked straight up to him, started talking to him. Why? Because I see the Spirit of the Lord upon your life. I see the hand of God upon your life. And I know that God wants to use you. You're a young man. You've got an incredible future in front of you. And uh, I don't know what it is, but there's a, a gift of God there somewhere on your life and in your spirit. And I want to encourage you to keep your heart open to God and let Him use you in the years to come. Pastor, thank you. Thank you.